the ABC's word wizard, the Lord of Language. A word in your ear with Professor Rawley Sussex. 20 minutes to two. Yes, he's here, the ABC's word wizard, Rowley Sussex, OAM Emeritus Professor from the School of Languages and Cultures at the University of Queensland, and he's here, willing and able to talk with you about words, language and linguistics. The phone number is 1300 612. That's 1300 612 if you would like to join in. And today, Rowley, you would like to kick off by talking about slogans. Why, Rowley? Why? Because we're surrounded by the things thanks to COVID. Ah. And there's all sorts of words and expressions which suddenly became part of our everyday life, like flatten the curve, which no one had ever thought about before. Um, And we've been besotted with these things for the last two and a half months. Maybe they're going to recede a little bit into the background, but in, in future, anthropologists and so on will look at this period and say, look, these people were had an absolute fixation with these things. What, what is the point of a slogan linguistically, Rolly? Okay, um, because it's a short, uh, pungent, memorable, clear, emphatic sort of thing. Um, Mr. Whitlam in 1972 had its time and uh, Don Chip in 1980 um, for the Dems had uh, keep the bastards honest. Now, only in Australia would you have a political party with the word bastards in the slogan. <laughs> but it's, it, you know, these things are memorable and it's a way of getting public policy into the ears and minds of the folks out there and trying to make sure that they, they actually remember what the important messages are. So messaging is a very important part of public policy at a time when we have a health emergency on. Mm. And so that's that's what our our representatives have been doing. Took them a while to get onto it. The the early early broadcasts about COVID were rambly and all over the place. And it was actually quite difficult to work out just what the key points were. Um, The Brits were even slower than we were, but they finally got their act together and they had three slogans which were on the front of the podium every time a government minister talked to the populace. And they were, stay home, protect the NHS, that's the National Health Service, and save lives. Stay home, protect the NHS, save lives. Interestingly, in Australia, we never had anything relating to the health services, perhaps because there was never a real expectation that they might be overwhelmed. Um, The British were worried that there'd be so many infected people that the hospitals couldn't cope. But stay home and save lives have been part of our uh, world. And, of course, the uh, get the app for the COVID app more recently. Other ones that I've uh, picked up, stay home if sick. All right. Shelter in place. That's an American version. Mm. Uh, Lockdown. uh, That sounds a bit more punitive, actually. Um, Isolation. Keep your distance. Social distancing, I I think that's a terrible phrase. Physical distancing is a little better. That's right. And people are starting to pick that up. And the World Health Organization agrees with me. Um, They must have been listening to this program. (laughs) And also the American Medical Association. Physical distancing is is keeping you one and a half meters. In England, by the way, it's two meters. Um, uh, But social distancing is... We actually see this. People in the supermarket, if you pass someone, they turn their head away and don't look at you. And this is actually a a little bit spooky. So I would like to see social recognition and warmth, but physical distancing at the same time. Can I tell you about the slogan that I like to think I coined, Rolly? 
Go for it. I've been spinning a dance track to try and get people boogieing along to some up-tempo music mm-hmm. in the hope that it spreads a bit of joy instead of germs. Spread joy, not germs. What do you think? Oh, yes. Yes. Love it. Excellent. Um, and, and it's even better because it, it's got an echo phrase in it, spread joy, not germs. Thanks. Okay, there's the j, and it's got a very clear rhythm, da-da-da-da, which is in fact the iambic pentameter, which is the typical rhythm of English poetry. Things like to boldly go where no one has gone, man gone, no man has gone before. So you've joined, you've joined the ranks of the great coiners. <laughs> well, it was all very deliberate, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, Professor Rolly Sussex with you on ABC Radio Brisbane in Queensland. It is a quarter to two. Uh, Rolly here to have a word in your ear. We're discussing slogans this afternoon, but many of you keen to have a word in the ear of the professor. We'll take your calls in just a moment. I guess I just wanted to, to sort of round out the slogan chat, Rolly, with mm. um, you know, is there a secret to success with the slogans? Maybe you tapped into it with the iambic pentameter and, um, and poetry, but some slogans are better than others. Some are better than others. They need to be short. Ideally, they've got the got some kind of repetition. Most recently, we've had one coming out of the health um, public health people. Do the free stay COVID free? I think it is. No, sorry, stay COVID free. Do the three and the three. Are, you know, wash your hands, keep your distance, and get the app. So this is something which stays in the mind because it's a little memory and it's like nursery rhymes, things which are easy to recollect and, and which actually become part of you. Some of the others have been quite hard. Um, I think flatten the curve was, and we, we became absolute junkies looking at, looking at graphs. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> pe- people who didn't know a logarithm from anything else were looking at logarithmic curves and what, wondering whether we were flat or not. Um, but things like um, herd immunity, I thought, were not so good because this was the idea that uh, if you let it run sooner or later there'll be enough people in the community who've had it who've got immunity who can't pass it on and we'll have a kind of buffer against the the spread of the disease the swedes tried this as a national policy and they've they've started to recant now mm. their death rate has gone way way up the very best countries by the way um, apart from us and the kiwis have been all in uh, asia places like vietnam which reports a zero death rate because they shut the country down in I think late February and my students who now gone back there to jobs told me that they'd been sent home the universities were shut the schools were shut the country was in lockdown so that they could basically weather it out and they've done extraordinarily well. ABC Radio Brisbane and Queensland. Professor Rolly Sussex, your guest, having a word in your ear. My name is Kat, taking your questions and comments this afternoon. Colin, let's begin with you in Homestead, North Queensland. G'day, Colin, what would you like to say? How are you, Kat? Hello, Rolly. Hi there. Um, just my question for Rolly is uh, pe- people who, uh, academics who study the language are linguists and mm-hmm. Some people are multilingual, so why don't we speak languages? <laughs> okay, um, we got the word language from French, where it's, where it's langage or langue. Langue is the French for tongue and also for language, and langage is a, a sort of a, a type of language use. But when we actually have academic disciplines, they very often take their names from Latin or Greek, um, like, you know, archaeology, um, and uh, psychology and philosophy and so on so that we've gone back to the latin where the word is lingua for language and so lingua and linguistics 
rather than language, la linguistics, as it were. And that's why we've, we've borrowed the word from two different places at different times, and uh, the one we've gone back to is the prestigious old language, which is Latin. Thank you, Colin. Dorothy in Rockhampton. Go ahead, Dorothy. Good morning. Uh, good afternoon, I should say. Mm. Uh, Raleigh, I think this is probably a very rude word, but uh, a lady used it about her dog on Macca on Sunday morning, mm. and uh, I'm wondering if it's uh, Australian slang or where it came from. The, the word is faggot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, faggot in North America is where it began as a word for a male homosexual. But mostly, uh, it's got a much older uh, and very respectable history. Um, it means a bundle of sticks bound together as fuel. Um, in Britain, it's even something to eat. Um, a whole series of uh, balls of meat, chopped liver and so on, which is fried up. Uh, and so it's, it's a really quite an interesting word because this bundle of stuff is actually lis, lis, it's related to the, the word behind fascists because the fasces were the bundles of sticks uh, were carried by people in ancient Rome for signs of authority and that's where the fascists in Italy got theirs from. So faggot and fascists have got quite a, an interesting, serious and old history. Thank you, Dorothy. Angus is in Yoronga this afternoon. Angus, hello. Howdy. Um, I was in, in uh, an English class the other day and mm. um, we were talking about double negative. Oh, yeah. About how, um, particularly in the Australian context, double negatives are quite um, ubiquitous. Um, and the, uh, the professor of the front said, you know, despite all of the, the common usage of double negatives, there's very little employment of a double positive. And, um, but up the back, a, a little voice came out and said, yeah, mm -hmm. right. <laughs> yeah, um, that's one positive, <laughs> positive reinforcing the other. The interesting story about this is that in Shakespeare's time, that's around about 1600, double negatives were just a more emphatic negative. So I say, I saw nobody, right. I didn't see nobody is much more emphatic. Whereas nowadays, the double, neg double negatives cancel each other out. And I didn't see nobody means that I actually saw somebody. And so the, the double negatives have done a 180 degrees and now mean the opposite of what they did 400 and something years ago. Um, they're not used at all in careful um, recommended usage in modern English anywhere that I know of. Uh, it's all, if it is used, it's very colloquial and, um, should we say, not standard. Well, we but should. your example of yeah, right is great. <laughs> it's hilarious. Nice one, Angus. Thank you very much. We'll keep moving this afternoon. Uh, lots of you wanting to have a word in the ear of, your, of Professor Rolly Sussex, who is your word wizard. And Rolly, by the way, I, I just I mentioned earlier that you speak many languages. How many languages mm. do you speak? Uh, I, I, would, I would argue that I speak five, which is um, English, Russian, Polish, French and German. And I can read about another 15 with the help of a dictionary. Um, wow. But uh, the, the winner, according to the international records, is a man who worked for the U.S. military, and he was supposed to be competent in 92. 92? Wow. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't know how he did it. But he, he was, I think, some kind of very special brain. Very indeed. Yours is exquisite, however, Rolly. Thank as you. Ruth on the Sunshine Coast, I know agrees. Ruth, hello, go ahead. Hello, hello uh, Kat, and hello, Rolly. Hello. The question I have is about light, the difference between lighted and lit. And mm -hmm. the context that it was used in was, has the barbecue been lighted or mm -hmm. has, is, the, is the barbecue lit sort of thing? 
Okay, the ED ones, um, as in learned and learnt, um, and kneeled and knelt, the ED ones are usually American, and the T ones are usually British, and we tend to follow the British. Um, sometimes it's a matter of, you know, with learned or learnt, you'll hear both from Australians, and a lot of people will use either more or less interchangeably without realising that there's a, a, a difference about where they come from. But in the case of lighted and lit, um, I think lighted is more poetic for us nowadays. Someone has lighted a candle or whatever. But the barbecue is certainly lit, and this is the form we ought to use in Australia. And it's shorter too, so that's double thumbs up from Australians yeah. everywhere. Uh, Colin in Toowoomba. Thank you very much. Colin in Toowoomba. What would you like to know this afternoon? Uh, hello. <coughs> Excuse me. Hello, everybody. Uh, I was taught quite emphatically, O-S-T-E-N mm. was often. Mm. But now... I often hear people say often, mm -hmm. uh, pronouncing the T. Now, yes. those people who do that, uh, I was always told it was the people who do that. Uh, quite often, I hear these people that say mm. that. Yep. And the other one is forehead. And mm -hmm. there was a little girl who had a little curl down the middle of her forehead. When she yes. was good, she was very good. When she was bad, she was whorehead. Uh, please know. what I mean? I do, yes. Okay, often uh, the, the T is written because it was once pronounced. And uh, in Wordsworth's poetry, when oft upon my couch I lie in vacant or in pensive mood. And he, he wrote OFT and pronounced it oft. Nowadays, the preferred version in standard English everywhere is often, but you will hear often from some older speakers, and it's, it's more common, I think it's probably coming back, because it's a spelling pronunciation where if there's a letter that's spelt, sometimes people will start pronouncing it, even though they wouldn't normally hear it. And that's actually what's happened with forehead as well, because it looks like fore and head, and in fact, it does mean the part of your head at the front, which is the fore part, so historically it was your forehead, but we now say forehead. It's a bit like saying forecastle instead of forecastle on a boat. Um, it's one of these things which has been um, shortened into a, a, a common and accepted form, but now, of course, there are younger people who don't hear forehead very much, see it, and they do what's called the spelling pronunciation, and they just pronounce it the way they see it. As to people who and people that, uh, when I was at school, I was taught the way you were. But nowadays, that is a relative pronoun and you can use it after anything. Uh, it's quite useful because who is with people and which goes with things. Um, but again, sometimes, you know, the government who, the government which, we're not quite sure whether they're animate or not. So that is a nice choice because it gets you out of all of the problems and it even saves you from having to work out whether it's who or whom, which still bothers a lot of people. Indeed. Uh, well said, Colin. Thank you very much. Uh, it is five minutes to two. Whipping through the last three, uh, John, Craig and John. Let's begin with John on the Sunshine Coast first. G'day, John. Hello. How are you, Ollie? Um, Hi there. My, my quick question is why do we have learnings now instead of oh. lessons? Yeah, uh, the trouble here is that I think we've had teachings in the past um, and teachings are messages that are propagated by the teacher and so learnings are things which are absorbed by the people who are trying to learn. I hate learnings, um, you know, messages, um, uh, lessons, whatever. We've got words that already do the job. But learnings in the plural has become part of 
a professional way of talking, particularly among um, educationists and people in sort of public language, public policy. And I've been pushing back as hard as I can and getting nowhere. I'm afraid it's probably here to stay, but it's ugly. Okay. Uh, Craig on the Sunshine Coast. Thank you, John, on the Sunshine Coast. Now to Craig on the Sunshine Coast. Craig, go ahead. Hi, Kat. Uh, hi, Rolly. It's a privilege to speak with you. I'm just curious about what's happening with the words past and past. Um, there seems to be a bit of a mixture of, uh, instead of saying P-A-S-S-E-D, people are using P-A-S-T. Mm. And is it, uh, it seems to be more in uh, spoken word and like messages and things, not mm. so much in literature. Okay. It's very hard to hear the difference, actually, because both of them are pronounced past, as if it was ST. Uh, the P-A-S-T one is a noun or an adjective, you know, the past events uh, in the distant past. P-A-S-S-E-D is the past tense of the verb, to pass, and it's now used very much when people have died. So-and-so has passed. It used to be passed away. So they should be kept separate uh, in writing, but in pronunciation you honestly wouldn't know because they're much the same. And last question goes to John in Cairns. Hello, John, go ahead. Yes, uh, Rolly, Alpha Bravo Charlie. Where mm. did they, that all originate from and how did they select the words? There's a few good ones amongst them. Okay. There were there have been probably about eight or ten different phonetic alphabets like this and they began when the armed forces started using radio and particularly um, the, the post-Morse thing um, to try and make sure that there was a very clear way of communicating. Um, the Germans, by the way, have two numbers, the zwei is two and drei is three, and if you only hear the I bit you might get one wrong, so they invented zwo to make it different. So Alpha, Brava and so on were invented for the purposes of army telephony and the most common one nowadays is called the NATO alphabet and if you look on the web for NATO alphabet uh, you'll find it. The rationale is each word must be clear, clearly pronounced and not confusable with any other of the other 25. Um, and it's actually quite useful because things like F and TH and S are often difficult to hear uh, when you're trying to get a message across. And the notion of foxtrotting is fun at the very least of times. So, John, thank you very much for your questions. Thanks to everybody who called to speak with Professor Rolly Sussex, who will join you again next Thursday. We never have enough time to get through all of your questions, but never fear, because Rolly is always here on a Thursday afternoon, just after half past one. Professor, time for your last word. Yeah, have we got time for Grant Stott and his song? A little not? brief, little tiny bit, if you're really quick. Okay, this is Grant Stott, BBC Radio Scotland. The, the Scots were very clever about managing their slogans, and they actually put it all into a song. And he's done one which picks up the main message and makes it in a lovely... And Scottish English is marvellous. Let's listen. Save lives. That's what lots of people say. You're stuck indoors in April, locked down in May. But I know I can't go and change this tune. If I want to get back outside, back outside in June. Stay safe, save lives. And as stupid as it may seem, some wee Egypts get their kicks, not day in the quarantine. So don't you bother, don't you bother heading uptown. 
we can't go there no more because it's all been closed down. Take it away, lads. Can't go to the pub or the pictures, the park for a picnic or play pitch and putt too. Can't see the boys for a baby, so now we stay in and get pished on Zoom. Each time I find some raj wandering about on the loose, I pick myself up and shout, Get back in the hoose, save lives. Tell you, you can't deny it. Next time I see a bottle of sanitizing hand gel, man, I'm gonna buy it. And don't even think about, don't even think about jumping in your car and driving to Anstruthers' award-winning fish and chip bar. Unless you're local, of course, that's different. Don't go to the football, the boozer, the bingo, the chippy. We can't do a damn thing. I've been stuck in the hoose, binge-watching episodes of Tiger King. Each time I find some raj, taking too much bog roll off the rack, I pick myself up and shout, Hey, ball bag, put it back. Save lives. And you can't deny it. Just stay two metres away from folk. It's no hard. Go on, try it. And if we want to have a wee party come this here July, stay in. Only go out for essential food, health, and work reasons. Your daily exercise, but don't be people from the households and wash your hands. Protect the NHS and save lives. Come on, everyone, save lives. On your radio and online. At home or on the road. This is ABC Radio.